0: Welcome
1: to Training Unleashed, the show that will help you design and deliver training that's off the chain and will make a difference. Now, here's your host, Evan
0: Hackle. Hello, everyone, and welcome to what I think is going to be a really fun edition of Training Unleashed. We've got a great guest with us today, but before I introduce him, I want to thank our sponsors, C-Suite TV and C-Suite Radio. With me today is Jeremy Miner. He is the chairman of 7th seven, level global sales training. Uh, and this is a highly fast growing training company and you know I always love it when we have a guest that actually is like totally focused on training because that is what we're about. So I'm going to start with like the easiest question in the world. Why should people train?
1: Well you know as my as my good friend Bradley always says, is training something you did or is training something that you do? Okay, and I want you to look at look at like top athletes, look at Tiger Woods, look at LeBron James, look at Tom Brady, just to name a few okay or look at you know the uh, what are the sisters that that play um, tennis you oh, know? Yeah. sister. you know is do you think is training something they did back in the day? And then they just coast through or is training something they do every single day. Look, if you want to be a market leader as a company, if you want to be a market leader as a sales professional, if you want to be a market leader as a trainer, training is something you do every single day because the moment you stop, the moment you start going backwards. So training is something, uh, obviously, that you have to do every day if you want to be very successful in this world.
0: You know, I I. I joke with people and I say, could you work out for a weekend and never have to work out for the rest of your life?
1: Could be in trouble.
0: Yeah, could be in trouble. And people think that they go to a weekend training and they don't need to do any more training ever, ever, ever again. Yeah. Uh, I, I think they are uh, losing out. Well, I,
1: think, I think like David Sandler said it best, you know, you, you can't teach a kid how to ride a bike at a seminar. You know, it's a seminar, you, you know, it's just like an introduction to training. But if you want, if you want to continually hone your skills and actually learn how to apply those skills in every type of situation, training, especially virtual training is something you continually do every single day. And seminars are just kind of an introduction to that, but they're not going to like double or triple your salespeople's numbers or anything like that. It's going to go in one ear out the other for the most part.
0: Yeah, I I, I, I totally agree. So you obviously get to work with lots and lots of different companies and help them and improve. And your primary focus is sales training, which is fantastic. What are the things you're noticing out there? What are things changing in the world of sales in particular and the training of salespeople?
1: Well, I I think, I mean, there's a lot of things that have changed as far as your prospects that you're talking to have changed. Okay. And I think, I think one of the biggest myths that businesses believe for some reason, and maybe it's just because they've seen Apple do it or something, so they're like, oh, it must be true for every type of company, is that their products are so great, their services are so great, that somehow people are just going to line up and want to buy it when they explain it to their market. And we call that product pushing. And so, one thing that, that we have to all understand is that your prospects are more cautious and skeptical about making the wrong buying decisions than they have ever been before. Now, there's a lot of various reasons for that. Okay, pandemic, Wall Street crash, just a whole bunch of stuff, which we don't have time to go through on this. But as, as one of our clients said it best, uh, Brandon Kane, I would suggest everybody pick up his book. It's called Hook Point How to Stand Out in a Three Second World. Okay. He does all the uh, social media for like MTV, Taylor Swift, uh, Rihanna, like all the Hollywood celebrities. And he says in his book that there are over 3 billion uh, content creators every day that are trying to pull your prospects' attention away from what you're offering. Okay. If you even think about it, you are competing against 13-year-old girls on TikTok for your prospects' attention, right? So how many content creators were no there God. 20 years ago? How many content creators do you think there were 20 years ago? Just take a wild guess. It's crazy. 20 years ago. How many do you think there were? 100,000. 100, 100, 100, I mean, you're closest. Most people say something. It's about a million. There's about a million content creators in 2002. There are 3.2 billion now that are competing for your prospects attention and I a lot of times you know we we call this the information age okay we always hear about that but what does that mean power of the internet especially social media your prospects are being sold to 24 hours a day seven days a week week after week month after month, year after year. And when I say that at events, people are like, oh no, Jeremy, that's, you're exaggerating. You're not being sold to all the time because they're thinking about salespeople calling them or seeing them in person. I'm like, I want you to think about this. When you wake up in the morning, what is the absolutely first thing that you do most of the time? You pick up your phone and you do what? Check your messages. You get on social media most of us do, Instagram.
0: I check my email, but I do check. Look, at when I go to bed, I yeah. check Facebook, I check TikTok. Yeah. Well, you know uh, what I mean? The average person in the world, 95%
1: of them check their Facebook, their IG, or their favorite social media channel, if not many of them, right when they get up. Sometimes even before they go to the bathroom, it's that important. And when you do that, you see what? Ads trying to sell you something, right? You uh, you get up, you walk into the kitchen, you start to pour some coffee, you turn on the TV, you're getting ready for work, you You turn on the TV, you see what? Commercials trying to sell you something. You then get ready, you jump in the car, you're driving to work, you turn on the radio, you hear ads trying to sell you something. You drive down the road, you see all the pretty billboards on the side, which are ads trying to sell you something. You then go to work, you're probably still looking at your social media realistically. Let's say you just wait. You're that patient. Nobody can, you know, you're just on your own. You don't even look at your social media till lunch. You get on there and you see your aunt just posted her newest latest greatest MLM she's trying to pitch. See, so you are and then you go to bed looking at your social media again. See, so you're constantly being sold to 24 hours a day, 7 days a week and because of that phenomenon your prospects have built up walls of defensiveness that anytime they feel someone is trying to sell them something, they start to
0: emotionally shut down. Are you with me on that? Oh, I, 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 yes. No. In fact, it's interesting if you ask people if they're impacted by advertising. They'll, I'll tell you no. Oh, I'm not impacted by advertising. But it's, yeah, it's furthest thing from the truth. And, and one it's of the probably things probably the most
1: guys, constant thing in a human being's life is advertising and sales
0: i think one thing people also don't realize is your competition isn't people selling the same things you sell your competition is everything everything think about exactly. if you're cold calling
1: let's say that you uh let's say that i'm just going to throw an, an instrument let's say that you sell cybersecurity to banks and large enterprise companies well how many uh, you might not be competing necessarily against a bunch of other companies selling cybersecurity but you're competing against a company that sells maintenance that cold calls that same day. You're competing against a company that sells printers that is calling the same day. You're competing against a company that sells, you know, computer systems the same day. See, you're, you're, you're competing, like you said, against all these other industries that are all sounding the same on their calls. And because of that, it doesn't matter if you say, hey, I'm Ed McMahon with Publishers Sweepstakes or whatever his name is, you just won $500 billion. They are just not even gonna hear it. It's gonna go in one ear out the other and they're gonna get try to get rid of that person off the phone because when you sound the same like everybody else, even though you are in a completely different industry, Your prospects just put you in the same category as everybody else trying to stuff their solution down their throat. And they go into fight or flight mode and they try to get rid of you very quickly. So we have to sound much different. We have to be far more skilled in our questioning skills and our tonality to trigger the prospect to want to engage and open up. Because if we sound like everybody else calling them, they just put us in the same category and we're commoditized and it's pretty much
0: over. Hello. Okay. So... Guys, follow up. What are what are the key things quality salespeople do today? How do they differentiate themselves? So how well, do they get, how do
1: they get heard? Well, I think one of the I think in this kind of explaining it this way might be kind of better than like gives giving something specific. We can do that for in a second. But one thing that I think a lot of people don't understand is, and it's not their fault. It's just the way we've been trained in the past. You know, from sales trainers from like the '60s, '70s, and '80s that are still relevant in our day and age, right? But for some reason, people believe that the more excited they are and enthusiastic about what they're selling to their prospect, that somehow the prospect's brain is just going to be excited about it as well, right? Even though there's literally no science behind that. It literally teaches us the exact opposite okay think about when you go into like a car dealership and we train lots of car dealerships there's no pun intended but most of them have that stereotypical image of used car salesman excited we've got the greatest promotion even though you came in looking for a car the way they sell to you turns you off and causes you to run the other way See, they're triggering fight or flight mode and a lot of times when i say that at events people are like no jeremy i i have to be excited about my products i'm like you should be excited but you've got to keep that to yourself keep that internal you have to get rid of the commission breath okay behavioral science my background in college uh, commission. Hashtag. Digital. I know, that's, it's just so funny. Commission <laughs> breath. You can smell that salesperson's breath for about, you know, 100 feet away. But, you know, behavioral science 101. So my background in, in college was behavioral science and human psychology. Right. So within the first seven to 12 seconds of any sales call or any sales action you were on with your prospects, they are subconsciously picking up on your social cues. Now, our brains cannot help but do that. That is the way our DNA, that's the way we're wired, okay? So they're picking up on your verbal and nonverbal cues from your tonality and what you are saying and or asking that triggers their brain to react in one of two ways. Now, this is important. We have all heard of fight or flight mode, but does anybody know what triggers somebody to go into fight or flight mode? Is it their fault or your fault that that's triggered okay so if you come across aggressive initially in that meeting or call if you come across needy like you're attached to the sale and you don't understand the right questions to ask it triggers the human brain to, like I said, go into fight or flight mode. And that's where the prospect tries to get rid of you very quickly. Oh, oh, yeah, I forgot about the appointment. Uh, I'm too busy. Can you call me back later? Or you know what? After second thought, we just, we're not interested. We already have a company for that, or we don't need it, or we don't really have the budget for that. Call us back next year. How much is this going to cost in the first 20 seconds of the conversation? Can you call me back in a week, a month, a year later? All right, that's fight or flight mode. That's triggered by what you're saying to them. That's how their brain is reacting to that. Now, once you learn how to work with human behavior, okay? Once you learn how to come across more neutral in your conversations. Now, when I say neutral, I mean more unbiased. Like, you're not quite sure you can even help yet. Cause you're not, you don't know anything about their situation. How do you know if you can even help? I don't even know if you need us yet, okay? You come across more calm, more relaxed and especially the keyword is detached, okay? And you ask yeah. the right questions it triggers the brain to become curious enough where they actually want to engage. They're willing to open up to you and go below the surface because they feel that you might have something that could be important to them. They don't know yet, but they're at least open to that conversation. So as sales professionals, like if you're in charge of training them, we have to get them to understand that we have to become detached from the expectations of making the sale and instead focus on whether there's even something there, whether or not they have problems that we can actually solve. Now, do I mean when you get into sales interactions or calls that your goal is not to make a sale? Well, obviously, no, of course not, right? Your goal on every call or conversation is to progress that towards the ultimate decision of making a sale. If you're in B2C, It might be one call close or two call close, B2B. It it could be a, a three or six month engagement, right? But your goal is to move that forward to that close because if you can't close them, that means their problems stay the same. They stay in status quo and they never get where they want to go. And whose responsibility is that? That's yours. It's your responsibility as a sales professional, not the prospect's. And I think when we start thinking that way that, oh, our sales professional skills determine if that prospect purchases from us to get their problem solved and get where they want to go, we start to think about training becoming a lot more important, but it has to be the right training. You know, I I just read uh, Michael Jordan's uh, biography a while ago. And one thing that stuck out is he says, look, you can take a thousand jump shots a day But if your technique is wrong, if it's not the right technique, you're still gonna suck at basketball. So you gotta make sure that the sales training your teams are incorporating actually works with today's modern day buyer. It's not from 1985 boiler room selling or repackaged just consultative selling, you know. So we gotta be careful of that. Gotta have the right training.
0: It's interesting you bring that up. I totally agree. I find it much harder to train someone to unlearn than it is to learn. Right. And I'd love your perspective your, pro- your perspective on are you better off hiring people with talent that you could, you know, you can test, you can find that don't have knowledge and the skill of training or are you better off hiring somebody that's pretty good at training that you want to take to the next level? Which is the, which is the better scenario? Run that
1: that by me. Are you saying salespeople you're hiring or a trainer? I didn't understand. This
0: is, I'm hiring a salesperson. Do I want to hire a salesperson who you take tests, they have the attributes, right? They have the personality and they have the attributes, but they have no experience. So they're blank canvas. Or you take a person that is moderately successful. So they have proven that they can in fact sell and try to take them to the next level, which I
1: think for for most companies, it's a mixture of both. Now, I tell you, for our company, we hire very, very young salespeople. Our average salesperson is 22. And the reason why we do that is because we want to hire them very, very young and train them the right skills from day number one so they're automatically successful, rather than have them unlearn skills that don't work with today's modern day buyer. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't hire somebody that's moderately successful and retrain them and help them get better. We do that all the time. We, I mean, I've, we've trained you know, professional salespeople that are in their 60s that have tripled their numbers, You know that they couldn't do the sure. first 40 years. So it's just all about their willingness to learn. If you have some salesperson that's been around for 35 years and they don't want to learn anything, they think they know everything about selling – then that's a problem because their sales, their closing percentages and their income just stay exactly the same. You can't keep saying the same thing to your prospects and asking the same questions and expect to double your numbers. Like that's, a, are you going to double your work hours? You're already working 10 hours a day. You're going to work 20 hours a day? Probably not realistic. So it, it really depends on your, your company, but I'm, a, I'm not necessarily, now I'm going to, this is going to be an unpopular opinion. And usually a lot of things that I say go against the grain. But that's just the way that we operate around here. I'm not necessarily a big person on personality tests. And the reason why is because selling is a learned, acquired skill. No one is born out of their mother's womb having advanced questioning and tonality skills. Those are skills that are acquired and learned. There's a big myth out there that, oh, that salesperson's really extroverted. They can talk to anybody. They've got the gift of the gab. We find that most people that talk like that, that are highly, highly extroverted, that talk fast, typically are average salespeople at best. Because today's consumer doesn't want to be talked at and sold to. They want to be asked, heard, and most importantly, understood. So we can take people that are introverts, like programmers, and literally teach them a step-by-step structure, what questions to ask and when and how to ask them. And that person will outperform the extroverted smooth talker 10 to one, okay? So I'm not necessarily a big proponent on uh, personality because it's something, sales skills are about learning the right questions with the right tonality. And once you acquire those skills, what does that do to your confidence? It blows through the roof. Right? You can listen to all the personal development CDs and podcasts and everything all day long and and journal every day for an hour and meditate and you know and pray on the mountains of Tibet. But the moment the prospect picks up the phone and says hello, if your salespeople don't understand the right questions to ask at the right time that triggers engagement, all that personal development smacks you right in the nose pretty hard. It just goes out the window and your motivation and confidence is like gone in 10 seconds when you get rejected, call after call after call. Now, when you have the right skills and people are opening up and the sales process is easy, you just gain more confidence because it actually works. Now, I love personal development, don't get me wrong, but just bringing in a personal development guru to pump up your salespeople, as everybody knows on here, might get you a lift for a week, but if your prospects are saying, if your salespeople are saying the same thing, asking the same question, that external motivation as everyone knows, wears off very, very quickly and numbers fall back down to where they were.
0: Tortle Training's Learning Matter experts are passionate about designing effective solutions that move the needle. Whether your organization needs development of e learning courses, instructor led training, or assistance with creating optimized electronic versions of employee handbooks, our team can help. To learn more, visit slash learning development. So I'm going to shift our gears to a place I don't think you're expecting, but I think you could be okay. One of help. Okay. You know, the, the premise of the show is that training is undervalued. Companies don't invest in training. One of the things that I've noticed is that training professionals are not the best at advocating or internally selling upper management, or for that matter, middle management and, and employees on the importance of training so they get the budget so they can do training well. What kind of advice would you give to people, because we have people listening here that are responsible for training, to help them sell better internally to advocate and support their training initiatives?
1: Just ask them two questions. The first one's the how-to question. So if you're talking to, let's say, your person who's in charge of the training budgets and you are a middle manager or something, it's different in every organization, It's simply, well, how are we going to go from X percentage closing rate and double that if our salespeople are trained just to say the same thing and ask the same questions? If they don't learn new advanced skills, it's the how-to question. A lot of times when okay. you ask the how-to question, they're like, oh yeah, how, how could we? A lot of people just don't think about it. It's a simple question. And then it's, it's the risk question. that was like, well, you tell me, I mean, which is, it, which is more risky? Is it more risky for us to get a training budget together, invest in more advanced skills so our salespeople can really increase their numbers because now they have the right skills? Or is it more risky for us to do nothing at all? Stay in the status quo, keep selling the same way, and then hope and pray somehow we're magically going to sell more.
0: I mean, which is more risky? Well, you know, it's interesting that you talk about that because a lot of times for myself, I like to compete training with marketing and advertising, right? So some famous person said, you know, half of marketing is wasted. We just don't know which half. Marketing and advertising is a risk, training is not a risk. If you know, if you've built the the methodology, you've tested it, so you know that people that go through this training achieve X, it's just simple math, okay? Yeah. Now let's train everybody, there's no risk, and you can increase sales faster by improving closing rates, average tickets, improving margin, all of those things than you can when you use a pull technique, which is marketing. But yeah, the because is You can generate
1: marketing. way less leads, which costs you way less,
0: you just convert more of the prospects
1: you're talking to. It's, it, yeah. it doesn't make any sense, right? You know, it's, you know one, of, one of our largest clients, it's a Fortune 100 client, they're a big search engine, if everybody's heard of this big search engine, I won't tell <laughs> their name, NDA. But one of our clients, we trained three of their divisions, okay? And one of the biggest problems we helped them with was just their attrition. Because when their salespeople couldn't sell that well, they didn't make as much money and then every, I want to say every quarter, they were losing about 30% of their sales force. Then they would have to go back and pray recruiters, pay all this money again, bring more people back in, train them on the products. And it was literally costing them millions of dollars a year just in lost revenue from their attrition. Now, they never associated attrition with bad sales techniques because you don't lose salespeople typically that are selling a ton and are really happy because they're getting paid well. That all associates to your sales training that gives them the confidence, that gives them the skill sets to be able to do well and make the company a lot of money. If that's lacking, guess what? They're going to go somewhere else, right? So they never associated the attrition with bad sales training. So once we fix that, not only we got them a 244% uplift in the first quarter, which they had to audit three times because they didn't believe it was possible, but their attrition went down from like 30 some percent down to like 8%. And how many millions of dollars do we save them just from that? So a lot of companies don't realize their attrition is really caused by their lack of good quality sales training that doesn't give their salespeople skills. Then their salespeople can't sell, so they get fired. That can all change once you have the right training. It's not based on, oh, well, that person was an introvert. You know, they can't sell. We got to get a bunch of gift of the gabbers in here. It has nothing to do with it. It has, it has everything to do with bad sales processes and bad sales skills that work against human
0: behavior. And you know, I, I, I'll also add to this conversation. I think it's important that everyone in the company, period, thinks of themselves in in some fashion as a salesperson. But in particular, in the training department, that, you know, okay, you're a trainer. You're not there to sell training upper management, but you are training people. And if part of your training exercise isn't why this training is important and what's in it for you as the learner, it's not going to be effective. But if everyone in the training department is singing the same chorus and getting the entire company aligned and appreciating what's happening, then it's gonna be a sustainable effort in the organization.
1: Everybody's in sales, doesn't matter what you do. You're a teacher at a high school, you're still selling because you're trying to persuade, influence, and move others, right? Uh, If you're a politician trying to get people to vote for you, you're trying to convince, persuade, move others, right? If you're an employee, a training employee, and you're trying to convince management to give you more of a training budget, what are you doing? You're trying to persuade, you're trying to influence, you're trying to move others. If you're a business owner, and you're trying to get your employees to follow the vision of where you want to take the company. I hate to tell you this, but you're trying to persuade, influence, and move others. Everybody's in sales now. It does not matter what you
0: do. Let's just take it even more simple. You're at home with your family. You're trying to decide what food to eat for dinner. You're <laughs> in sales. To- <laughs> <Yeah.
1: So> you're <laughs> yeah, trying to get a- your kids to clean their room. You're trying yeah. to persuade and influence. Everybody's in sales. Every human being that walks on this planet is out there every day trying to convince, persuade, and move others to their way of thinking in some aspect.
0: Yeah. And, and I, I like to say you're either selling or being sold.
1: Yeah. Even if you don't get paid a commission, you're still trying to persuade influence and move others, even if you don't get paid for it.
0: So Jeremy, I've really enjoyed this. And I, and I think our audience has too. And it sounds like you have a very interesting company. And I, I'm really intrigued because- Supposedly. Rumor, uh, has, rumor has it. Rumor has it. Supposedly you we do. Know, you're, you're fast growing. You're four years old. You're obviously innovating. Tell us about your company, tell us about what you do, what makes you different, who are your ideal customers?
1: Yeah, I mean, typically, like I said, we we train all the way from Fortune 100 companies to SMB to individual salespeople that sell anything. And Forbes magazine says there's 158 industries. We actually train all 158 of those industries even in the first four years. That's how fast we've grown, or subsets of those industries. So what what our difference would be is we wouldn't really be teaching um, what we would consider traditional selling techniques or even consultative selling because, quite frankly, it works against human behavior. It's just not that persuasive anymore. We don't live in 1985. You know, the prospects are are much different. They screen their calls. I mean, it's completely different agent. But most companies and most sales trainers are still using or repackaging old school techniques that just. Don't work with today's information age buyer. That's why sales is a numbers game. Every time a sales trainer says sales is a number game, I would run the other way because all that says is what I'm training you doesn't really work that well. Okay, let's just be realistic. So we're going to train salespeople. We train salespeople how to learn uh, the most persuasive way to sell, according to behavioral science, which is called dialogue, when we ask what are called neuroemotional persuasion questions. That stands for NEPQ. Okay. Now the conversation around that is how do you get somebody to persuade themselves? How do you get prospects to pull you in rather than you keep pushing, 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 and then just a small percentage, you break them and they buy. Okay. But then everybody else, you just cause them to run the other way. And then they don't even like you or want to buy from you again. Okay. So it's about a series of step-by-step sales structure. Okay. All the way from the connecting stage of that conversation where you're taking the focus off you, putting it on them to trigger openness and engagement to situation questions to help them and you find out what their real situation is. Like what's really going on. Okay. Now, I hate to tell you, you can have the greatest questions on planet earth. But it doesn't mean your prospects are just going to willingly open up to you and tell you all their deepest desires and objectives and problems because they know what you're doing. So how do you bridge into questioning that allows them to open up? How do you clarify and probe naturally where it triggers them to actually want to go below the surface? Because we don't go below the surface, as you know, at the end, what objections are we going to get? sounds good. We need to think about it. Uh, Let me get this to the board and we'll call you back if we're interested. We need to keep doing more research. We need to keep looking at some other vendors. We need to get more quotes. You're triggering that because your prospects are staying surface level with you. You don't know how to open them up to go below the surface where their emotions are, which is where all buying decisions are made. So how do you ask what are called problem awareness questions that help them find out not only what their real problems are, like average salespeople can find out the problems of a prospect. Okay, great salespeople are able to not only find out what their problems are, but what the root cause of the problem is. And the very best salespeople in companies that sell the most are able to find out what the problems are, the real problems, the root cause. But most importantly, how are those problems personally affecting that prospect even down to the core? And that's where buying decisions are easily made, okay? Solution awareness questions that get them to focus on what their future is gonna look like once all those problems are solved. Consequence questions that allow them to question their way of thinking that what are you gonna do if you don't do anything about this? What are the ramifications, okay? The consequences. That creates massive urgency in their mind, like, oh, S-H-I-T, we need to do something, okay? How do you present where they don't get lost in your 75 page slide deck and just go to sleep? How do you emotionally connect the dots? And then how do you ask what are called commitment questions? Not closing questions, I hate the word closing. I think it demeans human beings. Like nobody wants to be closed, but are we gonna ask commitment questions, let's say for a B2C sale that commit them to take the next step and purchase what we're offering to solve their problems and get what they want? Or for more of a B2B complex sound environment, we're gonna ask commitment questions, smaller commitment questions that commit to taking the next step and maybe doing a demo, taking the next step to meet the board, taking the next step to proposal or whatever the next step is in your sales process. So commitment questions ultimately leads to the ultimate decision of purchasing what you're offering. So that's what we're all about, working with human behavior that trigger that openness and all about teaching salespeople a concept we call the ABDs, of selling no more abcs of closing that's old school <laughs> average average sales still believe in the abcs of closing that's why they suck that's why they're average i hate to say it it's not their fault they've just been trained that okay but we want to focus on the abds of selling always be disarming so from the moment that first part of that conversation to the middle of that sales process to the very end whatever that is them sending in the funds. We are continually asking the right questions that disarm the prospect to keep their guard down where they feel comfortable to be open to us about what's really going on. When we're able to learn that, they start to view you, they start to view you, the salesperson in your company, as the experts, as the trusted authority in the market where they're always going to buy from. They view everybody else as just another company trying to stuff their solution down their throat. So it's all about how do you want your salespeople and company to be viewed? That's
0: it. So Jeremy, because I've talked to you and I know a little bit about your company, why don't you talk a little bit about the modality of how you work with people? Because you know, I, I think a lot of people think of companies like yours as you know, a lot of live training, a lot of travel, a lot of expense. And I know that you are not that. Well, I mean,
1: we we do, you know, seminars and and workshops as well, and and those are really good, but they're more like reinforcement of what we train because the the problem with just bringing a sales trainer in, okay? It's good. You know, you can bring them in for a couple of days. Your salespeople are going to learn well. They're going to go out and sell more, but literally just human behavior 101, they might remember 10% of that two-day training, okay? And after they start to forget a lot of that, they do what? They just go back into old habits. Then you got to hire the sales trainer to come back in two months later, do the same thing. And when you do that, you have to take your salespeople off the floor. You don't make any sales those two days when you take them all off the floor, right? So it's like a catch 22. So we like that, but what we find works the best for companies to sustain lifts, always like they're always improving, they're always going up is virtual training. So it's a mixture. So we have virtual training courses where salespeople go through, you know, five minute chunks a day, 10 minute chunks a day, maybe 20 minute chunks a day. Sales managers can go in there and pick a lesson and train on that by them watching the virtual training platform for even the first 15 or 20 minutes a day. And then we have group coaching where they can plug in virtually to that as well, besides the virtual coaching. And we have classroom training as well. So to us, it's a combination, but to sustain a lift continually Your salespeople have to be logging into the virtual platforms that we provide daily, even if it's for five minutes. And hell, let's say they know they have a call and they're like, you know what? We're probably going to get this objection. You just log right in and rehearse that again because it's all right there in the training platform. So your salespeople are always prepared. They're not like, oh, my gosh, what did Jeremy say three months ago when we brought him into the classroom? I can't remember. They can just log right in. Virtual training's there, and they go through that daily. So if you want to sustain lift and you want that to keep growing, they have to be training in the platform every day. Five, 10, 15 minutes is all. You do that, your salespeople cut your attrition in half at least, and your numbers are just going to go off the roof. At least that's what our
0: clients tell us. I, I really like what you're saying because I believe that continuous learning is the key. You know, Back to that example, you can't work out for a weekend and never work out again for the rest of your life. So I do want to say to our audience that everything you're talking about in terms of what you do in sales training also applies to technical training product training yeah. and every other kind of every other kind of training um i know you have a really great offer and uh i really you know when i heard the offering went, this is really cool uh so would you tell well, everyone I, about I, your-
1: we like people to learn about us first you know we we've got tons of clients we i mean we have like 4,000 leads that come in every every month with our sales team. So it's no big deal for us. So if they just if they want some free resources, they, they want some little hors d'oeuvres so they know what we're about, uh, just have them go to one of our Facebook groups and go to www.salesrevolution.pro. So they can just go to salesrevolution.pro, P-R-O, You can join that for free. Right when you join, you'll get a message. So check your Facebook Messenger. You'll get a message from somebody on my team with a free training called the NEPQ 101 mini course. It's actually NEPQ broken down in sections with different questions by our CEO, Matt Ryder, who was actually a client of mine four years ago that I later convinced him to sell his companies and become the CEO here. He's he's a magician. And he's going to break down the NEPQ process and give you different questions you can use for different sales situations that will immediately help you and your people sell more. Okay. And then if you want to know more details, you don't just want the little hors d'oeuvres or the little nibbles we give you from that, you can just message us and, and jump on with uh, one of our executives and, and they can see if we can help you. Okay. That's it.
0: You, you mind sharing your website too, for people that just like to go to your website? Uh, yeah. So
1: you're not going to get all the free resources there. We don't keep anything there, but they can go to seventh level hq.com so seventh so the number seven t-h level l-e-v-e-l hq.com we don't own seventh level.com because the person that owns it wants to sell it to us for six hundred thousand dollars but we're not paying six hundred grand for that stupid domain name so seventh level so if he hears this right now you're just never going to get it seventh level H-Q. <laughs> seventh the level Association H-Q. has started Yeah. It's like, dude, like we don't drive traffic to our corporate website. Like somebody can just go, we don't care. Like it's not worth that. So seventhlevelhq.com. There's no free resources on there, but you know, there's some fancy pictures and some videos of me walking around on stage. If you, if you, you know, you want to look at my hair, but if you, uh, if you want some free resources, salesrevolution.pro is where you're going to get all that. Excellent.
0: And Jeremy, as you know, we end the show with, if you had one tip to share, what would that one tip be? You
1: know, it's a it's a tip. I, I, I give you a lot of tips, but one thing that comes to mind is that somebody asked me the other day in a in a in a virtual training. I would noticed this much as they said, "Well, how would you describe selling in one word, Jeremy?" And it took me about five seconds. And what I would describe selling in one word as is it's change. All sales or selling is is change. Okay, it's about how good you are at getting your prospects to view in their mind. Not by telling them, but by your questioning skills, allowing them to tell themselves that by them changing their situation, that means paying for your product or services and solving their problems. By them changing, that is far less risky for them than them doing nothing at all, staying in the status quo, and the problems
0: stay the same, which is more risky. So all sales is, is change. That's it. Love it. Thank you. Jeremy, great having you as a guest. I want to, of course, thank my audience. Without you, I wouldn't have a show. And my sponsors, C-Suite TV and C-Suite Radio. Everyone have a great day. Training Unleashed is brought to you by Tortal Training,
1: specializing in e-learning and interactive online training solutions for corporate, government, nonprofit, and franchise organizations. Tortal makes effective training easier. Just go to Tortal.net to gain access to real-world tools that can make a difference. That's Tortal.net. T-O-R-T-A-L,
0: net. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.